Before we get started, we have a voicemail from Mrs. Bull City Coordinators. Let's hear what she has to say. Um, hey, hon. Um, so I'm still waiting on the milk, but also I, so I listened to the Roman History podcast, and you did not mention your best friend. Your best friend, who was a classics major at College of Charleston, and you know, I just want to make sure that you know you you know you you got you got to keep in mind who your best friend is and mention him because you two always talk. You call every day. You talk about Rome. You talk about nerdy sci-fi stuff. And since you're expanding to go beyond just Duke football, you should mention your best friend. Okay, I need a milk. And, you know, you, you, you know, mention your best friend. Okay, love you. Bye. So I've looked at that refrigerator, and there's plenty of milk in there. You just must not know how to look inside the refrigerator uh, or open the refrigerator appropriately. I don't know what to tell you, but clearly at this point, it's on you. Second, who you're referring to is, in fact, not my best friend. That's just factually erroneous. Uh, objection is made to your characterization, which is sustained, and your remarks are stricken from the record. And just so you guys know, this is a long-running inside joke between the two of us, and it will probably continue as she will continue to call me and remind me about this person who I did not mention, and I will not mention here to stick with the bit. So with that in mind, why don't we get to the episode? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Bull City Coordinators Duke Football Coverage Podcast. You can find us anywhere you get your podcast. Check us out on our website, bullcitycoordinators.com. And you can find us on pretty much all the social medias at Duke FB Coverage is the handle. We just added uh, our podcast feed to Amazon Music and to YouTube Music and YouTube as well. So you can check out our channel there. And as always, you guys know how to get uh, on this podcast. You can call 540-632-0160 and leave us a message. Now, before we get started with our next guest, I want to thank Troy Taylor at Totem Pole Sports for helping me get in touch with our next guest and helping to get this set up. Check out his podcast over on YouTube. You will enjoy it. And he has an interview there with our next guest who I think you all probably remember. He coached at pretty much all levels of football for about 30 years, uh, getting close to 40, actually, when I was doing my math. He served as a defensive coordinator at many places, including at the Air Force Academy and Arkansas, before landing a head coaching job in the old Southwestern Conference that would eventually lead him to Durham, where he was the head coach from 1994 to 1998. During his Wonderful first season. He took the Blue Devils all the way to the Hall of Fame Bowl. Fred Goldsmith, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Ben. Appreciate your calling and uh, looking forward to this. Uh, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. I've read your book, Come Back Coach. I got it on Amazon. So, And I've talked to a lot of your players. So, uh, And I remember, of course, that era fondly. Uh, one thing that I mentioned to you when we spoke before we started getting into all this was that uh, I want to go ahead and put this on the record here on the podcast, although I think I've said it before, is, uh, you know, I think the Blue Devils, the program really made a mistake when they let you go back in 1998. Uh, the program really, really fell apart after you left. And, you know, 
obviously I think we all, everybody wants to see more wins, but you certainly were doing something right. Cause you were getting a lot of guys into the NFL during your time there. And on top of that, uh, you had the Blue Devils very competitive at a level that they were not for quite a while after after you left Durham and uh, your replacement came in. Uh, and it took us until 2008 with David Cutcliffe coming back. So I did want to go ahead and say that on the record now. Uh, and first thing, though, that I, that I would like to get into before we get into your time uh, as the Blue Devils head coach is you worked, spent some time with Ken Hatfield, uh, who was a pretty darn good coach at Arkansas, Clemson, and Rice. Can you talk a little bit about Coach Hatfield, what he was like, and how he helped your career? Oh, he was everything to my career. Uh, I joined him uh, after five great years at Florida A&M with Rudy Hubbard as defensive coordinator. And I went with Ken, uh, called me in the middle of the night from the Air Force Academy, and he said he was out there as Bill Parcells' offensive coordinator. And he was going to be named the head coach the next day because Parcells was going to the NFL. And so we, we had five years and uh, sometimes people forget, but he's the one that started the wishbone for the service academies, the triple option. And he, he told us that uh, called Chan Gailey and I up to his house. Uh, Chan was from the staff one Sunday afternoon. He said, we got to either be better than somebody or everybody, or we've, we've got to uh, be different. He said, we're not going to be better. He said, we're putting in the triple option, which he'd had experience in Florida with. And we did that. And the rest is history with the academies. And, uh, oh, gosh, you know, our fourth year, we beat Notre Dame. We beat BYU. We upset Vanderbilt in the bowl game, uh, which, unbelievably, they were 10-1 and one and beat Alabama with Coach Bryant that year. And uh, we went on from there. And we had another great year. Went to Arkansas. And he, he has the winningest winning percentage of any coach that ever coached at Arkansas in his six years there. And then on to Clemson and then took my place at Rice for 12 years. But a great man, great Christian man that, uh, you know, he not only talked about winning and teaching us what we needed to do. Uh, he said, we're going to walk the walk uh, at the job, not just give it lip service. And, and uh it was an honor to work for Ken and still remains a dear, dear friend. One thing I'd like to ask you about, because I know coaches have different styles. Some are more hands-on, some are more kind of CEO types, let the coordinators coordinate and do what they need to do. What kind of a coach was Hatfield? Was he very hands-on or did he empower you guys to develop your programs and feel develop your system and do what you wanted to do and felt you needed to do. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, on defense, he let us coach. He'd been, he'd been a defensive back at Arkansas. Johnny majors was his secondary coach. Uh, Doug Dickey and Johnny majors, I think are the two that coached his position uh, during the time he was there. And Frank Worlds was the head coach. Uh, Ken, uh, he wanted to know what we were doing on defense all, all the time. We tell him not so much the game plan, but the fundamentals and what our base was. And then he let us coach offensively. He was the offensive coordinator uh, all the time. He coached uh, called the plays. He was in all the offensive meetings and uh, he knew that triple option. And then he added Fisher to Barry to the staff our last, uh, well, our last four years at the Academy and, Fisher had been running that, and that's – in fact, when we put it in, uh, we had Fisher and, and his boss at Appalachian, Jim Brightfield, come out and visit us. They helped us put it in, and then Coach Brightfield uh, retired, 
And so Fisher was working in the admissions office at, at Appalachian. And so what a great addition to be able to get him at the same first year we started running this offense. And, and uh, so everything just uh, fell into place. Well, so you, you'd been at Arkansas uh, for a little bit, and then you got an opportunity to coach at Rice. What appealed to you about Rice and what made you end up taking that job? Well, it was a head coaching job in the Southwest Conference, and and they were at the bottom of the Southwest Conference. I think the losing streak was 18 games at the time or 19, 26 straight Division I losses. But they played a lot of people close. They had gotten a lot better uh, our last year at Arkansas. We won the championship. We were uh, undefeated to the last game, lost the last game of the season by two points to a great Miami team. And yet, uh, the game before that, Rice it went into the fourth quarter tied with us. And we'd seen them on film, and we saw the potential. I saw the potential. But it was a chance to be a head coach of the Southwest Conference. And in those days, the Southwest Conference was every bit as good as the Southeastern Conference. Uh, I mean, it, it was a major league with Texas, Texas A&M. Baylor was always good. University of Houston, we were always good. And so it, it was a Texas Tech, you know, it, it was a tough league. And, and uh, so to be a head coach in that league was a real honor and, and that I got a chance to do it. Uh, I've always been humbled by that. What were the biggest challenges you had there at Rice? I mean, I read a little bit about it in your book, but tell us a little bit about what was difficult about succeeding at Rice. And you had two winning seasons there at the end. I mean, you did pretty well. Right. It, it, it was really neat to be able to rebuild it. And we left a good team. Ken came in and uh, tied for the conference championship when I went to Duke. But, uh, you know, it was a challenge. Uh, the previous staff, there were some good coaches on that previous staff, but they they had no background in Texas. And uh, after recruiting for five years or, yeah, five years at Air Force in, in the Houston area, and then five five more years at Arkansas, uh, a little bit in Houston, but a lot in the Mid-Cities area of Dallas. Uh, I knew the secret were the Texas high school coaches. They're nice to everybody, but they help the people in the Southwest Conference. And so I surrounded myself, uh, I think, with three high school coaches uh, that I had known uh, down there very well, and also college coaches, some that had coached at Texas, Texas A&M, and other people that had recruited there, like Craig Bowl, who just retired at at, uh, at, at, at uh, Wyoming. Craig had been recruiting there for Tulsa and then Wisconsin. And so uh, I got to know Craig real well, brought him in as a coordinator. Mike Heimendinger, uh, who's passed along now, uh, he had been a coordinator at North Texas at one time. And so everybody on the staff uh, brought Les Koenig in there the second year, whose daddy was one of the deans of Texas high school coaches. He'd been captain of a cotton bowl team at Texas. And that was the key. We went after every single guy with grades in the top 100 down there. And it wasn't easy because they, they didn't grow up wanting to come to Rice, I can tell you that. But, um, you know, all of a sudden they get, the interest from Rice and the family attorney or the family doctor or somebody respected, oh, man, hey, they tell the parents, you, you better have them take a look at Rice. And, uh, you know, because we were, you know, academically, we were like Duke. Well, 
we were even more so like Duke to the Southwest Conference than Duke was to the ACC. You, you know, you had Tech and Virginia and the ACC. But anyhow, we rebuilt it with great Texas high school players. We had one or two starters from Florida, uh, you know, for, but for the most part, it was Texas high school football players that rebuilt that program. And that's the secret to Rice. Uh, if anybody's listening that has any background out there, somebody needs to tell them that. Well, hopefully they'll take your advice because you do know a thing or two about it. One thing that I thought was interesting, though, was your two seasons where you went six and five at, at Rice and people who've grown up watching college football during the last 20 years may be shocked by this. But you guys didn't get to a bowl game either of those years, did you? No, but the rules were different now. Now, heck, they're, they're begging for people that have six wins to go to a bowl game. But in that time. You had to have six wins against Division One A football, and so two of those years we played a very good Sam Houston team, uh, you know, and and so we weren't eligible. We we messed it up the last game of the season against the University of Houston in 1992. Uh, the bowl people were at the hotel; they ate the pregame meal with us, uh, you know, everything, and and then. Uh, the next year, Baylor got us over there right at the end. Uh, but uh, I was very proud of those teams. Uh, you know, we came within a point of beating Texas uh, one of those years. Or twice we came within a point of beating Texas. And we played Texas A&M very, very well, beat Arkansas uh, right before they went to the SEC. Uh, so, you know, I, we were real, real uh, blessed with the way some of those games were coming. Baylor was very, very good at that time, beating a lot of good bowl teams. And uh, we we beat them, I think, four out of five or something like that. And strangely enough, in 1992, you guys uh, went to Durham, played uh, the Blue Devils at Wallace Wade in a close one and lost by five. So I guess you must have liked something about what you saw when you were there. Uh, as you uh, 13, later, 13 to I think it was 13 7 or something like that, maybe I don't. But the last play of the game, we dropped a touchdown pass in the end zone. Our quarterback broke his collarbone, and and Bert Emanuel had transferred from UCLA and he was a became a great player. He went in there, and I mean, he was tearing them up there. And uh, thought we were gonna pull that game out, but uh, Duke was a good football team back then. They, they did have some talent, and when you got there, boy, you really let the talent cook, as they say these days. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how it is that you ended up at, at Duke. What made you decide to leave Rice, and then what about the Blue Devils job appealed to you? Well, you got to stand at Rice. uh was having trouble, like a lot of big city schools now, with attendance. We had a 70,000-seat stadium where the Super Bowl had been played. But the only games we drew very well for were Texas and Texas A&M. Uh, the campus atmosphere was a little bit different, more like an Ivy League school, I guess. Uh, but it was just – it was a little different. The kids wanted to stay off campus they, uh, and and all. And I, I've been good friends with Steve Spurrier for many, many years, and Jerry, his wife, especially. Steve Jr. was playing on the Duke team. And so – and they made the change. Duke called me, and the first, you know, first couple of times they called, I just really didn't want to make a move. Rice had been very, very good to me. Uh, but, you know, I talked to Jerry Spurrier, and she said, the kids really love it here. They really love every aspect of it. That stirred me a little bit. 
And then I'd seen them on, well, two years earlier when they beat us and, and, and everything. But, uh, I knew Duke, Duke was an appealing school. Uh, they had been a great power. So Rice had two at one time. And so, uh, some things didn't materialize it, 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 Rice with some new facilities we needed built. So I went to, uh, I went to New York to the Hall of Fame, came back and found out these things weren't going to materialize. And just be honest with you, I called Duke back and, well, I actually called Tom Butters, the AD, and they had hired, they had announced the hiring that day of uh, the coach from William and Mary. And so when they did that, I called Tom Butters and, and it's his secretary answered. And I said, well, I'm just calling. If he's busy, don't worry about it. I just want to congratulate them, uh, you know, for making a good hire, which it was. was. She said, well, wait a minute. I think he, he'd want to talk to you. And so she said, the coach from William and Mary just backed out an hour ago. I said, oh, gosh, I wouldn't have called if I had known that, you know, because I was still uh, new contract was coming to me from our athletic director, Bobby May at Rice, who I love Bobby May, a great leader. And anyhow, so um, I talked to Tom once or twice that weekend. It was a Friday. I came back. We had a recruiting weekend. I still thought I wasn't going to go. But I woke up on Monday morning. We'd had a Sunday school lesson the day before. And uh, the lesson was about not being afraid of, of moves and things like that. And and so uh, I got up at 6 o'clock in the morning, got dressed, told Pam. I said, I'm going to Durham. I said, I'll try to get hold of Tom. And so I called. I was going to the airport. And I called several times. No answer, no answer. I said, well, I'll go park the car, go in there and see about getting a ticket and if, if, if I can't get him on the phone by then, I'm not stupid enough to buy this ticket and, and go there, if, you know, if I can't get him. I called one more time. I went back out to the car, called on the cell phone because I'd gotten a good parking place at 6 in the morning. And Lynn Butters was getting up to put the coffee on. And she answered the phone, and she said, I, he'll want to talk to you. And he said, you come on. And he had Barry Wilson, who'd been the head coach, um, who – contract had run out and he was going, I knew Barry. He said, I'm going to send Barry. I don't want anybody to know you're here. I'm sending Barry to the airport to get you. And we did. And Barry filled me in on everything, told me what we needed, uh, how close it was. And uh, he was right. And he was a wonderful guy working with the Blue Devil Club uh, uh, when the first year I was there. And so next thing you know, we're at Duke and, and, uh, we were blessed. I'm telling you now, how many times do you have no injuries during a season? Not one person missed a game during the season. We had some injuries, but we didn't, nobody missed any games. And so, uh, that was good. And, and we brought an offense and a defense that basically had not been seen east of the Mississippi. And, uh, it just started off with a bang right from the first game against a very good, you know, highly touted Maryland team. Well, you, you covered a lot of great ground there. And the William and Mary coach you were mentioned, it was pretty good, was Jim Laycock. Laycock uh, yeah. uh, Jimmy Laycock, I think he won a, a, a cool 249 games at William and Mary. Uh, he, he did pretty well. That's more than he would have won at Duke, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you mentioned uh, you you mentioned no injuries in '94. Uh, that 
a lot of us Blue Devil fans were thinking how great it would have been to have an injury-free season uh, this past one and what yeah. may have happened. But you oh, you gosh, did yeah. you mentioned your two coordinators. You mentioned Heimerdinger and Craig Bowl. Talk about what those two guys meant to your staff. And the reason that I ask about this is it seemed like after that – because and we'll talk about they left after that season, after the bowl game. It seemed like it took you a bit to get – the guys you needed to replace them. How important were those two guys to what you were doing in Durham? Very, very important. I lost Dinger uh, right towards the end of recruiting when Mike Shanahan, who's college, he was uh, Dinger's college roommate when Shanahan took over the Denver Broncos. And uh, then lost Craig Bowl to his uh, uh, school. Uh, he, he was an alum of Nebraska where he'd been a graduate assistant, Tom Osborne. So he was out there, went with Tom. And those are, you know, you've seen what the results of Bowl. He'll be in the College Football Hall of Fame soon with his career at North Dakota State and Wyoming. Uh, Dinger, I think Dinger coached in two or three Super Bowls. And uh, Lord took him home too early. I mean, he was a great guy and a really, really good coach. Uh, the players love playing for both those guys. And uh, it, it was – it was a, you know, two very valuable people, and you know, I could have done maybe a better job. Probably could have replacing guys like that, but I brought those guys, and you know, when it came time to replace them, it was hard to replace uh, people at Duke because we just weren't paying like some of these other places were. And and that that was a huge difference maker. You know, that was back when a coordinator at Duke was would be making sixty five thousand. We're on the way to the bowl game. LSU had called Dinger the night before and offered him uh eighty thousand, I believe it was. And and uh Tom Butters on the plane. I said, Tom, I need to talk to you. We went up in the corner. He said, do what it takes. So you know, we were able to keep him for 85, but then lost him a month later. Uh, but, you know, we weren't as competitive as we should be. And I probably, well, I know I probably for anything, I just, and I replaced them with good people. But those two guys, uh, they were way ahead of the game. So the 94 season was remarkable. I, I remember being at the Duke Carolina game. It was a heartbreaker, but it was a good game. It was a very good game. Talk to us about how that season went and when you when you started to realize, hey, we might have something special going on here. Well, we did. And I, I failed to mention before, too, not only there were no injuries, we got uh, about three players back, I think, that were really good that had been out of school at Duke the year before. Or one was injured. Uh, outside linebacker was injured, uh, with a, came back off a bad shoulder, uh, a great cornerback, uh, Jamal Ellis out of Dallas. Uh, he, he didn't play the year before and a defensive end that didn't play the year before. So we went, uh, we shored up a defense with three really good players and the first game, Jamal, we put him on the number one receiver in the country from the year before, locked him on him, and that guy didn't catch a pass. And he was later a great pro with the Ravens. Uh, so, you, you know, that helped it going. But in that first game, we came out with this offense that they hadn't seen east of the Mississippi. Uh, all this, the zone blocking, the, the one-back zone type of things, and had two great tight ends, too. And um, 
And and so things that we did with those guys and, and the motion of those fellas around like H-backs and, and things that hadn't been seen before. So we got off to a really good start, won the first seven games, and then we went to Florida State, the defending national champion, and we were actually playing them for first place in the conference and uh, played bad the first half, second half we outscored them. But we got beat like 50, maybe 51 to 35, something like that, 56, 35, I don't know, something like that. But uh, we bounced back, and, and we had been ranked up there pretty good, bounced back and beat a real good Virginia team, uh, and beat them in a fantastic game. And, and so we were up there pretty high and then lost two heartbreakers, the one you mentioned the last game by one point to Carolina and NC State, who we had down 23 to uh, 23 to 7, I think, something like that going into the fourth quarter and lost that game. We never punted in that game, never punted. But, uh, you know, uh, those were two thrillers. They didn't go our way, but they were thrillers. And we got got beat in a very close game by a very, very good Wisconsin team in the bowl game. Yeah, well, Wisconsin really, in both the NC State and, and the North Carolina game, were one-point losses. So, Real close to having a ten win season there, and that a good Clemson team too. Well, and I, I'm going to ask you about that uh, before we're done because I a, a good friend of the pod, C Dubs, at my friend C Dubs, wants me to ask you about a couple of plays in that game, and that Wisconsin game. I'd gone back and watched it. I can't remember for what reason, but I watched it. Man, that 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 O line when when Wisconsin said, "Look, we've got a." just take control of this game and they just started running the ball. They just had an amazing O-line that was hard, I think, for anybody to stop that season. They were they were very, very good. Uh they lost two players. I think the quarterback and a real good running back, uh running back played for years in the NFL. They lost them early in the conference schedule. And they had beaten, I think, UCLA really well in the Rose Bowl the year before. They had everybody back. But they lost those guys, and so they came in there. I think they were nine and two going into our bowl game. Uh, but those were the two games those players were out. Otherwise, they'd have been back in the Rose Bowl. Uh, and so they, they were very good. And I came up with this great game plan, I thought. Well, we're playing in Tampa, Florida. Now, they're from Wisconsin. So I told Dinger, as we started preparing, I said, I want to start off with a two-minute offense. We had Spence Fisher, really sharp quarterback, very, very smart, very tough runner, tough kid, and a good, you know, passer. He played a few years in the NFL. Well, <laughs> I said, we, we'll put this – let's put the start of this game in Dinger's hands. It's, I mean, in uh, Spencer's hands, it's a, it's a noon kickoff. And it's going to be – you know, they're not used to the heat at all. And, and so, you know what? The day of the game, the whole weather pattern. There, hey, the sun never came out. Cloudy as can be. The high was 65 degrees that day. So they get off to a 13 nothing lead. And, and so we jumped that, went back to what we've been doing. And so we tied the ball game 13-13, I think, in the fourth quarter. And um, we got beat on a fourth and one. We stacked something inside, and they went outside and took one in from about 35, 40 yards and beat us. But uh, I was proud of our kids that day because Wisconsin, they were awesome physically. You're exactly right. Well, and they had one of the best bowl game coaches of all time in Barry Alvarez. If you gave him time yep. to prepare for you, he, he odds are he was going to find a way to win. I'm looking at his record. He was nine and four. He was pretty darn good. 
Uh, well, you know, you know what? Uh, I always tease with Barry. In fact, I spent some time with him uh, last summer, I guess, or no, the uh, Peace Bowl last year. And I said, he's the only guy that ever beat me twice in one year. He beat me on January 2nd in that bowl game. And then uh, I, they something happened. They weren't eligible or something the next year. They had a little problem. And so we coached against each other in the blue-gray game. And I'll be darned if he didn't beat me on Christmas Day that uh, that same year, 1995, <laughs> the blue-gray game. Well, he he was a heck of a coach. That's not one to hang your head about uh, too uh, much. He, he he was good. But yeah. So so after you know, we remember kind of what happened after. Oh oh, I'm sorry. See, uh, I'm going to get an angry uh, text here in a minute if I don't ask you about this. Uh, Ray Farmer was on your team, right? And for people who don't remember Ray Farmer, he could do just about everything on a football field, particularly blocking kicks, punts, whatever, on special teams or on the kicking teams unit. And that really came in handy against Clemson. Can you tell us what it was that he was able to do for you guys against the Tigers that year oh, in 94? It was a tight game. And I think we might have been a little bit behind, you know, maybe a field goal behind or something like that. And uh, we held them down there deep late in the game. And uh, Ray blocked the punt. And he blocked the punt, rolled back there in the end zone, and Corey Thomas recovered for us. But if if I'm not mistaken, if I'm revving it right, at that time, I don't know if he still holds the record, uh, at, at that time, uh, Ray uh, – had the record for the most block NCAA record for the most block kicks in division one football in a career. And he had blocked a field goal in the first quarter and then blocked, yeah. blocked the punt there at the end, which gave you guys the lead. And then you were six, uh, six and oh, and three and oh in conference, uh, with, uh, with a big win, uh, for you guys. And I think at that time, Clemson was uh, – no, Clemson was not ranked, but you guys were ranked at that point. Uh, came in at number 25. That was a big win for you. Now, after that, it seemed like – and you and I talked a little bit about this and with some of the other guys from from your teams who've been on, and I've talked about this. It seemed like the college football landscape really started to change. And Duke maybe wasn't at the front – of the curve on that. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what the challenges were that you guys faced in, in each coming season for your remaining time in Durham? We had to rebuild that. See, I was hired late and, you know, we got one or two, we got a few real good players, but, but not what you would want to have in a recruiting class that year we came in. And, you know, it was tough. It was tough academically. Now, I was a little bit naive. We had won at Rice, uh, turned that around and, and won. And and you could recruit in a wider area for Duke uh, as well. So I thought the the school itself sold itself. I, I felt like we could just continue on winning there. And now after that winning season, we we had a heck of a recruiting class. Seven players in that class and then the next one made it in the national football league. I don't mean just got drafted or signed. They made the teams, seven of them. And those boys see most, all those would have been uh, 
seniors or redshirt juniors my last year uh, and uh, or, or excuse me, the following year. And that that's really hurt not to be able to coach those guys because seven of them made it in the NFL. But um, I overestimated, I think, you, you know, a little bit uh, of what, you know, coming to the fine school and everything that Duke was and is and, and everything like that, that uh, the, the ease of maybe keeping it going. Uh, I mean, because we, we I mean, one day I'd be in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. The next day I'd be in New Jersey. The next day I'd be in Miami. Uh, you know, next day I'd be somewhere in Atlanta, or Texas, even recruiting. So it, it wasn't quite like Texas where uh, you get on a private plane or Southwest Airlines. And, you, well, from the distance of my house, uh, we had a few hundred, you know, uh, within an hour of my house, a couple of hundred, I think, uh, you know, 4A and 5A, which was the biggest in Texas at that time. They weren't right around the corner in Durham. We could hardly get any North Carolina kids. We couldn't get them into Duke. The president asked me at the ACC basketball tournament, during halftime, when she said, why don't they like us? You know, why do they keep booing us? I said, you know, I said, man, I said, if you'd let more of these North Carolinians in Duke and we had more guys from North Carolina playing sports, they might like us a little better. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it was. Well, and so, and I want to talk about some of the guys that you got in the NFL a little bit later, because you got a lot of guys in the league during your time there. But after the 94 season comes to a uh, a close or maybe towards the end of that season, you got calls from a lot of different schools and you turned them down. Tell us a little bit about who all reached out to you and why you decided to stay in Durham. I'll tell you, but you probably, nobody will believe it. Uh, well, one, one of them, Tom called me in the office the Thursday before the North Carolina game, two days before. And he said, I just had a call from the uh, university of Texas. He said, on Monday, they're going to offer you the, t the job at Texas. And I said, well, we'll see what happens. You know, I try to be cool about it. Boy, I was excited. This is, that's one of the best jobs in America. And uh, turned out Texas pulled a game out of their hat that Saturday, and they didn't fire the coach. And um, I, I would have taken the Texas job uh, because all my recruiting, I felt comfortable with that one, okay? Uh, my wife had a cousin who was uh, – President of the Houston Quarterback Club, he was big Texas X. So anyway, but then all of a sudden LSU called and they had called me a couple of years before when I was at Rice. And and I didn't I never thought I'd be a good fit at LSU. So I told Tom, you know, he relayed the message. I said, no. And Michigan now Michigan State, and that's too cold. Uh a fellow named Saban took that job afterwards. Uh and then Oklahoma. And I met, I met at the Waldorf, uh, was there for the Hall of Fame stuff. And I met with the uh, AD, who was a friend of Coach Hatfield's, um, and, and uh, one of the, uh, Bill Carr, who was a dear friend of mine that uh, he did one, he was over one of the most, uh, you know, respected uh, search companies. And I met with Oklahoma. They gave me 24 hours. And, and, and so I kind of forgot about all that. And then right before the end of recruiting, Dennis Erickson leaves Miami. And I was the second choice for Miami at the time, what they told me, but the first choice, 
Uh, Sonny, uh, he was head coach at Colorado State. He'd been the defense coordinator at Miami before he went out there at CSU. And, but he said no to him right away. And I canceled the visit. Well, they had friends of my dad's. My dad was deceased, but a couple of his friends, a couple of guys I knew real well were big in their alumni association. I was raised in Coral Gables, Florida. Uh, it was tempting. None of the staff wanted to go. Uh, and I, I, you know, I had some reservations about it myself. Uh, whether those fellows would listen to me, the players down there. But we had a meeting scheduled uh, at the Atlanta airport. And we, and then I talked to Tom Butters. He called me and talked to him. And I was very, very happy at Duke. Happy to be there. I didn't care what the offers were. Um, and so I, I said no to that. And uh, we were in the middle of a great recruiting year towards the end of it. And I said no to it. And I, I really haven't had any regrets about that. Uh, Butch Davis got the job and Butch Davis did a lot better job than I would have because the kind of guys they had there, they gave a lot more respect for Butch from his NFL background than they would have had it to me. The, the, the fans down there, they wanted nothing but national championships, wanted to put up with anything else. The president uh, wanted – uh, he, he wanted more respect academically. I'd met him, uh, actually, uh, met him at the Cotton Bowl one year when Miami beat the Dickens out of Texas, but I, uh, the AD there introduced me to him. So, you know, it wasn't going to be right. I don't have any regrets about it. I wanted to stay at Duke. I believed, uh, you know, I'd been at the Air Force Academy, been at Rice, been at Duke. I believed in what Duke stood for. Uh, I wanted to make that work. Uh, our family, my wife's a North Carolinian. And uh, so we stayed and it didn't work out. Uh, I had a great meeting on the phone with Joe Oliva a few weeks ago. Uh, it didn't, it didn't work out. Don't have any regrets. The happiest 25 years of my life have been since then. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed the people in Durham too. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed representing Duke University. Well, you had some seasons after 94 that didn't go great, but you know, when I, when I went back and looked at your your time at Duke with with a little bit of distance on it, because like we had mentioned when we first spoke, I was a teenager when you were there, so my opinion would be a worthless, and uh, <laughs> at that point, and and uh, would not really be as detail oriented as it should be. But what was interesting was, you know, after the '94 season, things change a little bit in the program hits a low point, but you really started to build the program back up. Uh, and, and I would encourage people to go back and look at the, at the final scores from the seasons of 97 and 98 and see how close those teams were and how it really looked like you had gotten it to a point where you were close to getting them over the hump again and getting them bowl eligible and into a bowl game. Talk about your last two seasons in Durham and, what you felt about the program as a whole during those last two years. We were, we were there right on the cusp. Now this is when the guys that came in as freshmen in 95, uh, some of them played, some of them redshirted. Uh, gosh, I think, uh, well, it's Scotty came in in 96, him and, uh, Richmond, uh, we battled for some really top notch quarterbacks. Uh, some of them we didn't get. We got a guy named Spencer Romine, who's a orthopedic surgeon in Paducah, Kentucky right now. 
Um, he was very good. Couldn't keep him healthy. When he was healthy, we were a darn good football team. We, uh, everything was starting to come into play in 1997. Just show you how, you know, how close it was. Um, we go to Virginia and we, we lose right at the end because uh, we, we had a sack that would have gotten us the ball back out of their field goal range. And Chris Combs, a great player, great individual. Uh, he'd been, oh, they'd been dogging him on, on just calling him all sorts of things, staying on him from the Virginia sideline because he could have gone to Virginia. He was a great player up there in Roanoke. And so they've been dogging him really bad. So he makes this sack. He turns around and uh, salutes those guys that have been on his back. Well, uh, oh, the guy, Terry, uh, no, he's an NFL official, just retired. Been on TV as an analyst about officiating. Anyway, he's the referee, very, very respected. He's standing right there at the spot where Chris saluted. And, you know, it, it doesn't bother him. A guy who was on loan to the ACC from the Southern Conference, uh, a high school teacher, principal in, in, in North Carolina, he comes running over there from the other side of the ball. I guess he was the umpire or something. He comes running over there and throws the flag right down in front of the referee and Chris. No other official, the regular officials from the ACC, they weren't going to do that. 15 yards, they kick a field goal, they win the game. This is late in the fourth quarter late in the fourth quarter and um virginia was very very good uh then we turn around the very next week and go to clemson and we outplay them most of the day but they score and tie the ball game up and then sims linhart a great kicker uh i think he was third that year in, in the uh, uh lou gross award he barely misses like a 48 yard field goal i mean by inches uh, and it was right call. I mean, he did miss it, but barely. And, uh, so we go to double overtime, get beat by double overtime. And, you, you know, so those are two very, very winnable games against very good teams at that point. And, and you know, we, we didn't make it played Carolina really, really close at the end, um, right afterwards. And so we didn't get over the hump. And, and then, and then, so I'm on the hot seat the next year. I got to read, nobody ever told me that, but I got to read about it during the summer. And, um, which I didn't, I thought things were, that things were building back. You know, we went from no wins in 96 to I think four or something there, 97 and things getting better. Um, uh, and that, well, that year we played, uh, we played Northwestern up there two years in a row and gave them good. Well, anyway, so then we go to 98. And we're off to a good start. And we're 2-0. and uh, I guess we beat Western Carolina. And then we went to Northwestern, I think. And we beat a real good Northwestern team just coming off the Rose Bowl, I think, and beat them by about 40-something points. And Spencer's going strong. I mean, everything's clicking. Everything's clicking. And then uh, go to Florida State. And that was the big food poisoning game. That It was some kind of virus that we actually transmitted to them. But uh, we're playing them good. The kids are telling me, hey, they're not like they used to be. They're not as tough. And we lead them the whole first half to right before halftime, and then they kick field goal as 10-10. And then, but by that time, 
Combs and all the rest of our defensive line, they're out. And I'm the first one to go down with that thing. I probably ate two sandwiches instead of one. But, uh, you know, and so they were sick. We had 32 guys in the hospital next week. And, and, and but we play Florida State. I mean, again, you know, they had Warwick done. They had, you, you know, good people. And uh, so uh, one of the great receivers from the NFL, too. So we go to, you know, we play Virginia the next week. But we got 32 guys in the hospital on Tuesday. You know, that's the number one day of practice. And, but we get beat. We get beat by a small score. Uh, I think it was like 13, six or something, you know, some, something like that. And just, you know, so we go back and forth, but October 31st, we beat a good Clemson football team or decent Clemson team. And we look like we're in good shape. Next thing I know, we're getting ready for Vandy. And here comes uh, Richmond Flowers in my office. And the, and Romine's hurt. Romine's hurt. He's not going to play against Vandy. And Vandy was pretty good. And But Romine's hurt. Then Spencer, I mean, uh, Richmond walks in my office. Coach, I got a side ache. I got a side ache. It's hurt me real bad. So I get him down to the training room. They get him to the doctor. He's got appendicitis. So he misses the, that game. And, well, he misses all the rest with an appendectomy. And um, then we go to Vandy. We get two touchdowns behind. We come make a great comeback in the fourth quarter. And Scotty Montgomery dives for a pass that could have won the game, but it was a little overthrown. He dives, lands on his shoulder at the goal line, separates his shoulder. So he misses the next game uh, against uh, Maryland. But but So we lose in double overtime to Vandy. Uh, and then we, we, we play Maryland at home. We get a nice lead on them. And, but we, we just, we just couldn't win the football game. We could not put it away. Uh, but you, you know, all our firepower, those, I mean, those two kids were really good. Uh, you know, flower, flowers and, and Scotty. So we get beat and then we get beat in a close game by Carolina and I'm fired. But you know, I mean, that's how close it was to really, really, uh, you know, finally get things turned, getting it right. I thought we were in pretty good position with our coaching staff at that time. We brought uh, Bobby Trott in from the pros. Bobby and I had coached together at Arkansas and Air Force, and he he uh, he'd been coaching uh, for Parcells at New England, and uh, they let him go to make uh, make room for uh, a coach that got fired at Cleveland that they brought back, and uh, a fellow named Belichick. <laughs> came back as the defensive coordinator there, a secondary coach. So that's how close it was. I thought we had everything rolling with the staff recruiting at that time. Um, but I was gone and, you know, it hurt my feelings a bunch, but, uh, but I will say that Duke was very honorable the way that, that I didn't have to have any attorneys to this and that they, they, they were used to firing people. So they, they did it very gentlemanly like, and, uh, it, it went well and went back home to Franklin, North Carolina, and I loved it ever since. And, and uh, you know, and, and turned around and coached the high school football team after a few years of broadcasting for Western. Coached that team, and, and, uh, and we didn't have a bad record, 47 and 14, and, and uh, did pretty darn good. So I got my confidence back. And then went to Lenore Ryan and got that turned around. And after I've retired several, well, I tell them, I got retired by Duke, well, you know, because of illness. You know, they got sick of me, but that's basically what happened. But a lot of good memories. 
Well, and that's true. And there are a lot of good memories and I've enjoyed connecting with a lot of your players from that era. And you mentioned the the UVA game in 1997. My dad is still angry about that game. If I ever bring up uh, that, that penalty and he recounts it uh, exactly the way you did exactly how it happened. He's still furious about it all these years later. And what was the commissioner, Gene Corrigan? (laughs) So, well, um, I'm trying not to laugh as I've been thinking about the ACC commissioner and all the flack he takes uh, recently, but we don't need to get into that. Uh, it, you did mention, though, you guys had a lot of injuries those last couple of years that, that that piled up, and you kept them competitive, and you were clearly doing something right there uh, because you won more games than the people who'd come before you, certainly the ones who came after you, but you put a lot of guys in the NFL and, I mean, we mentioned them, Chris Combs, Scotty Montgomery, Ray Farmer, Billy Granville, Lenny Friedman, uh, John Farquhar, uh, Bernard Holsey, Patrick Manley, Corey Thomas. I feel like I'm leaving some people out. How did you find those people? And uh, the, part of the reason I'm asking about that is is it took a while for us to get guys back into the NFL, but you had found a way to do it. How did you guys identify that talent? Well, I, I, we can't take all the credit for it. Okay, Spurrier wins in 89. Now, Duke was a program that ran in cycles. So he wins in 89, and they had a, they did a good job recruiting. Okay, so I had those guys in 94. So some of the seniors like Holsey that went to the NFL at that time or maybe the next year, he got redshirted, maybe the next year. So the guys that we sent, John Muller from Brevard, North Carolina, uh, went to the Vikings. Uh uh, there, there was a bunch of them, uh, but now we got we got him back. He was an offensive lineman. We got him back because he he was done. He didn't want to be there anymore. And I told him he could, he could wear his hair the way he wanted to as long as he covered it with his helmet. And so he loved John Zernhelt, my line coach, and so he decided to stay. And you know he turned out to be a pro. Spence Fisher did, but um, so there was that first wave that we didn't recruit, but they recruited him you know, after Steve had done so well and then, and then Barry Wilson kept most of them around. And, and, uh, but then after our success, D Clark was another one, the Tawambi settles, uh, see, they were in our first recruiting class. And so, so a bunch of those guys made it in the national football league as well, Scotty and, and Richmond. And, and so there was so many, but where, where things went wrong, because things do run in cycles for a school like Duke. You have a good year, you recruit off of it, then you're going to have another good one somewhere down the, down the road. It's hard to maintain it. Uh, but the cycle was broken after those guys that we had went to the NFL in 95, after the 90, I mean, not 95, after the 99 uh, season. And so there was, they lost the win. And we would have had a very good season in 99, I'm positive. But they lost that opportunity to recruit off of again, and that started the downhill cycle. As you mentioned, it wasn't until Coach Cut got it back, and uh, he was a great football coach, uh, and he had he had some pretty good people he got in there, and they never should have let Coach Cut go. He's he's one of the great ones. Well, he, uh, you know, you mentioned cycles. I think that was part of the problem, and it seemed like his program was hit with some of the same issues. Yours was hit with mainly 
it got hard to keep some of the coordinators there that he had. And it's, it's hard to replace some guys, some coordinators that you have who are really good at what they do. You can't always uh, strike gold every time, but you know, he, he did some amazing things there and it was just the way it ended. Wasn't great, but to get to him, get in there was, was brutal. I mean, those years in between were, were just brutal. Um, well, a couple other things that, that I want to ask you about here, and I appreciate all the time that you, you've given to me, so I, I don't want to take up too much of it. Uh, but uh, you you worked with a lot of very successful coaches, a lot of guys who did very well. Uh, and I, I'm just curious, as Duke has hired a new head coach after we had Elko come in, what was it that you looked for when you were hiring coaches when you were hiring coordinators or making a decision about to go work for uh, Ken Hatfield? What, what was the main thing that you looked for? Well, character was big. I mean, I learned that from Ken character was very big. Um, when you're a younger coach, you're kind of in the foxholes with, you know, in the battles uh, in recruiting with some of these guys and, you know, you, you meet some of them, recruiting against them. You work with some of them, uh, you know, so I worked with Heimendinger. I recruited against Bo. Bo, Bo was so dedicated as a young coach. He was coaching the linebackers at Tulsa and he stopped by my office in Arkansas one day it was about a hundred miles from there. And he stopped by my office and he wanted to talk linebacker play. I said, okay. I had plenty of time at that time of the year. We're, we're talking about an hour and a half, two hours. And Craig said, listen, I I, I want to keep on with this. But I, he said, I got to run out to the car. And I said, you do? What's wrong? He said, we're on our honeymoon. And my wife's out there reading a book. And I said, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but that's so I knew he was dedicated. And I saw him hustle around recruiting in Texas. And and, and so, you, you know, you get good people. I had a guy, Jeff McInerney. Uh, who was a good coach and a, just a ball of fire that I, I spent one season at Slippery Rock and he was a student coach for me. And, and you, you know, so I, I, I knew these fellas. Uh, and, and so that was very helpful. John Zern helped. He was a great line coach, best I'd ever seen. And, and uh, I lucked into John. Somebody recommended him. Uh, they All the staff had just got fired at Maryland. I was able to, uh, you know, get John. And then thought I was going to lose him to Virginia Tech. And he goes up and visits. He comes back to Houston uh, after our first year with him. And he comes back to Houston. I said, well, when are you leaving? And because and, him and his wife from, from up there. And he said, I'm not going. I said, you're not going. Uh, I, I said, why? He said, well, they're going to fire Beamer as soon as the season's over next fall. They're going to fire him. And uh, which is a lesson. They had a great AD, Jim Weaver. He kept him and Beamer's in the Hall of Fame now. And a lot of places where there's good coaches, if they had those kind of ADs that wouldn't listen to the outside too much, if they know they have a good one, they stay with them. And, and so, uh, you know, we were able to put together some good people. Dinger, like I said, I've worked with. Kenny Maytosh and, uh, was good friends with some of the guys on our staff. He used to visit us at Rice when he was the uh, receiver coach at Ole Miss. And I was able to get him. He was came in there at that time. And, and Scott Brown, I recruited so hard against Scott Brown, but I had great respect for him. 
when he was at TCU and then Minnesota, and I was able to get Scott. Uh, you know, so some of these guys that were really, really good, I was uh, able to get them just at the right time in their career when they might have been out of work for a little while, uh, you know, for a few weeks, and we were able to get them. The guys that were making big bucks, I couldn't lure them away at the time, but I lucked into some of these fellas, you know, and, and uh, I'm sure there were other ones too like that, and and kept a guy named Fred Chatham, who, who was a good recruiter, uh, even though he was a Carolina guy, he did a good job of coaching and recruiting and kind of break us in and, and uh, had Rod Broadway at first. Uh, and of course, Rod uh, turned out to be a great head coach at Central and uh, and uh, Grambling and A&T. And so, uh, you know, we were blessed to have some good people. But there was a little bit lull in the middle that we didn't have quite. And Les Canning, when I got Les, he he was a tremendous offensive coach. If they'd have kept Les Canning around when they got rid of me, uh, there would have been a whole different. They would have won big that next year. Well, yeah, we we could go into the offensive system that was tried installed, but that I don't think we have time to to really do that. Uh, one thing I, you know, it was funny you mentioned this about kind of the the money to keep some of the assistants there. And it's interesting how those problems continue to crop up for a long time. And it seems like the blue devils finally have it straightened out, which is good. But, but I want to ask you as we get to, to kind of closing up here uh, and I, and I'll tell you, you know, I have a lot of fond memories watching your game, your blue devil teams on TV with my dad. Uh, we'd go to a local pizza place in Clemson. Uh, we grew up, I grew up right outside of there in a little town called central. And I watched a lot of you guys play a lot of your teams, a lot of your games. And and I'm just curious, what are you most proud of looking back on your time at Duke? We did it the right way. I know that. We never had any NCAA problems. Um, like I said, we, we have, I think, nine guys that are doctors now. Most of them orthopedic surgeons. Um, you know, some some really good people. Uh, that we coached there uh, and the effort that everybody put in, uh, you know, guys worked hard. The players worked hard. Uh, you know, that was a real highlight. And the people, I, I mean, Hapsars or the trainer, Sonny Falcone, uh, uh, strength coach, just wonderful, wonderful human beings uh, that uh, we worked with there. And, and most all the people, the president, Dan Cohan, she was wonderful. Uh, you know, it was all, all first class, um, just we, we weren't as compared to what I see at Duke today, uh, as, as far as making the commitment, uh, financially, uh, and somewhat academically, um, you know, to compete at the highest level in the ACC, which they are doing. Uh, you know, like that, uh, we, we got a few breaks academically, but not much, uh, I can say that, but, but we still led the country in graduation rates, uh, you know, all those things, but we could have still been doing that with a little bit more help, uh, academically, uh, even though Christoph Gutentang at the admissions office for what, you know, what his job was and what he, you know, what he had to do. He tried his best to help us. And so I really enjoyed the times I spent with him. 
uh, you know, there. And and like I say, we were right on the verge anyway. We were they gave us enough help that we were right on the verge. One way or another, I probably screwed it up a little bit. Uh I didn't get us the depth of quarterback to without to withstand Spencer Robine's injuries. Um I could have done a better job than that. One of the main guys I turned down that turned out to be very, very good is my son-in-law now, who who went to the uh, you know, he went to the Naval Academy and then uh didn't like it a whole lot. So he went to Villanova, set every passing record they had, took them to their first playoffs, did all sorts of things. And, and, uh, you know, I could have used him when Spencer was hurt some, but I had good kids in there. Good, good kids that were successful in life. Uh, that, that, you know, there were backups that, uh, you know, there, but, but, you know, very, very special young men that you could be proud of almost a hundred percent. Well, uh, coach, I, I really want to say I, I appreciate you coming on here. Uh, it means a lot to me. Like I said, I watched a lot of your games, a lot of your teams play growing up. Uh, had a lot of fond memories with my dad uh, watching those games. It, it was a blast. And and to have been able to connect with you and talk to you about this and and hear your your recounting your career and your time at Duke, uh, it's, just, it's just been wonderful for me. And for everybody who's out there listening, go on Amazon. You can find his book. It's called Comeback Coach. Uh, it's written by uh, uh, Coach Goldsmith and uh, one of your daughters, correct? Yep, Kimberly McDaniel. I dictated. She did all the writing and she did all the punctuation. She was an English teacher. <laughs> and it's got a beautiful cover on it, the old horseshoe there with the track. So you, uh, everybody who is a, an old-timer Duke fan will recognize it. I got a copy of it when I started doing this podcast. Actually, I think for when I interviewed Ben Erdeljack, uh, who came on, uh, and he says, hello, Coach. Uh, okay. And I just want to say, Coach, uh, thank you so much for coming on here. I really appreciate it. And, and uh, I, I want to give you a chance. If there's anything you'd like to say to the Blue Devils, to the fans, uh, uh, people who have followed the program for a long time, I want to give you a chance to just say whatever, whatever you'd like to them. Well, just hang in there. I, I think, uh, you know, if it hadn't been for injuries this year, I've watched closely, uh, you know, no telling what that record would have been. I think y'all got a chance to have a very good football team uh, next year. I, I believe you got pretty good head coach. I, I don't really know him, but I followed him some from when he was at NC State. I know you got a great running back coach coming in, uh, Willie Simmons. I've tracked him. I tried to recruit him to Duke. He went to Clemson, played well. Uh, he was he was an A student, high SAT scores. And, and I follow Florida A&M football very, very closely. I talked to him. Uh, I told him he ought to stay there, but he didn't listen. But anyway, uh, I know him. I, you know, most of the young coaches I don't know, but he did a tremendous, tremendous job. And I look for Coach Simmons to be at Duke for a while, but I, I, you'll find him to be a very successful head coach at the highest level one of these days soon. Well, Coach, thank you so much, and I'm glad Coach Simmons didn't listen to you. We're all excited to see what he and Coach Diaz, start of the Manny Mania, or Buenos Diaz, or whatever we're calling it, uh, is going to be in Durham. We're all looking forward to it. And thank you so much again for coming on, Coach. I really appreciate it. Everybody, please continue to listen to the podcast. Check us out at our website, BullCityCoordinators.com. Uh, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast. A little programming note. i got a couple other interviews I'm going to try to line up here soon. And to follow on the last episode that we've done about Roman history, 
Uh, there's a couple other related historical topics that we may delve into because it's the off season. It's a time for learning and reflection and to uh, think about things other than uh, other than football for a little bit. But we'll get right back into it. Uh, so, again, check us out on our website, BullCityCoordinators.com. Call in, leave us a message. You'll get on the podcast. And as always, go Duke.